Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. Hello, and welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. I'm Devin. I have a master's in American history and indigenous studies. And I'm Sonia, and I'm doing a PhD in medieval history. <laughs> and today, we welcome our very first ever guest onto the podcast. Hi. <laughs> Yeah, that applause. Um, yeah, I'm Taylor. I have an MA also in history, um, but I did uh, what's broadly known as death studies. So that's why I'm here, I guess, today. So the Baba Yaga Project is a podcast and blog that explores the ritualized year, folklore, and history. And today, with the help of Taylor, uh, we're going to talk about death and the dead. Nice. Right, so this podcast is brought to you by Nepotism. Uh, this is our friend, Taylor. She is the third Hi. part of the Baba Yaga tripartite being. And we all share exactly one brain cell. Yep. <laughs> we really do. Uh, yes, and an incomprehensible sense of humor that all of our other friends find incredibly frustrating and refuse to hang out with us sometimes. Most of the time. We have no other friends. <laughs> Most of the time. We have... I have, like, one other friend. Because I've tried to, like, have... I've been like, oh, yeah, I was hanging out with someone else, and you were, you guys were like, is it this person? And I was like, okay, yes. Yes, I have one other friend outside of our, <laughs> our social circle. So, uh, very popular. Very popular person. I'm great at parties, though, which will lead us into why I'm here today <laughs> and what I study, because, well, yeah. I'm, I was just I've, going to say, why don't you give us a little overview of what exactly death studies is for those who are maybe tuning in for the first time or who aren't up to date on, you know, the latest spicy topics? Yeah, so death studies is a pretty broad uh, field because it's it's kind of one of those it encompasses several other fields. So I studied well in my undergrad, I studied anthropology, and then for my master's, I switched over to history. Um, but so you can be an anthropologist, a historian, sociologist. Um, even there are people who do like literary studies. Um, so like English literature, um, Russian literature is obviously a big one for the death studies. Uh, fair, fair. <laughs> um, fair, yeah. And uh, yeah, so you can be in multiple fields, but it, it generally revolves around the kind of human experience of dying, what we do with dead bodies, what we do at funerals, um, how death is depicted in media, um, the like legends that we come up with around death and dying. So it's like super broad, um, which is fun because you can really end up doing a lot with it, which is kind of how I got started. Um, cause in undergrad, I thought I was kind of cheating the system and I was like, oh yeah, like if I don't have an idea for an essay in this class, like 
death is universal. Like you can find pretty much anything to talk about death in like any of these classes. So like, oh, I can't come up with a topic for my like, uh, you know, Renaissance art class. I guess I'll talk about like the memento mori and the uh, dance macabre. And it's like, I kind of thought I was cheating, but then I figured out that that's just how you develop like an academic discipline. Um, yeah, so I ended up doing it uh, very broadly in undergrad, like bouncing around. And then I wrote about like the evolution of human burial practices. Um, I took a few years off and worked in a crypt for a while, which was super fun. Um, and then and for- might I say, very on brand. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's what, yeah, it was uh, I actually, it's very on brand because someone recommended me for it because like I was working at another museum in Boston and uh, one of my coworkers was like, hey Taylor, like, <laughs> I know you're into like dead things like there's an opening at the script and I was like great thank you I will apply for it and I got it and worked there for two years which was super fun um yeah and then in my master's degree I moved kind of a little bit later in my time period going from you know ritualized burial at, in like early hominids to uh the late 19th century and I studied um like burial practices and public health uh, and cremation in late 19th century Montreal. So yeah, as I'm talking later, a lot of my examples will be Montreal based, but they're, it's a similar development that happens throughout the world in that time period. And Montreal is just like my little microcosm that I worked with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know, I've I, read your, your research paper on it and I think it's, yeah really interesting looking at Montreal specifically because you do have, you know, this divide, you, you have like this Anglo culture and also this Francophone culture. And, you know, you can kind of see in what, like within one city, how, how these different ideas around death and burial kind yeah. of collide in the 19th century. So Yeah. And it's definitely interesting with Montreal because you have like the language divide between um, Anglophone and Francophone, but then you have the Catholic Protestant divide that doesn't always fit on the, the language, even though like that's the larger uh, narrative is often like French Catholics and English Protestants, but you have like Anglophone Catholic communities and other communities that are Protestant that don't speak English as their first language like the, the Germans. Um, so it's, yeah, it was really interesting. And there's like fun and interesting like, dispute. Like the, the main part of my thesis was this disputed burial uh, that the widow of this man who died uh, had to like sue <laughs> to get him buried in their like family plot. And it's this very drawn out drama between the family and the bishop who was like super uh, uh, kind of, conservative at the time so yeah it's super fun I won't get too much into that because that was like a whole half of my thesis but it was a really it was a fun and and thank you Sonia for editing my my master's research paper okay so I guess to really get into our actual conversation for today we're gonna start with Sonia doing some background on European practices, and then I'm going to tell you a real quick story about uh, quote-unquote early America, and then we're going to let Taylor take it away for the rest of our time. So, Sonia, how... 
what what's up in the Middle Ages with the the dead people? <laughs> oh, it's popping off, Devin. So, Middle Ages, you know, in the early earlier parts of the Middle Ages, you're still getting a lot of um, there's still a lot of pagan and like pre-Christian burial and death rituals going on. So um, in a lot of cases, obviously there's a big, big variety and lots of differences uh, depending on where exactly you are. But basically there's two sort of main burial types at this time, which is either um, you see this a lot, uh, people being buried with grave goods. Um, especially if they're wealthier or more important. So, you know, if you're a Norse warrior slash Viking, you might be buried with, like, you know, your sword and your armor and your horse and that sort of thing. Um, and you also see in instances that there are, there's cremation, like, on a big pyre. So people put the dead body on the big bonfire and... You know this belief that the 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 smoke is going to help kind of carry you up into into the ether, into the next life, into you know whatever sort of afterlife you're thinking about. Basically, um, I admit that this is not my specialty by any means, but then we get the introduction of Christian burial, which is a pretty sharp departure from this because. A, you cannot burn the body or do any other sort of, any other thing that's going to um, change sort of the body's composition, if that makes sense. You're not supposed to like remove pieces or anything because there's this idea that when um, Jesus returns for the second time, that all the people who are dead are going to come back to life. Um, and to be able to do that, you need to have a complete intact body, basically, to come back with. And the other thing is you basically are not supposed to be buried with grave goods from that point on, because it's seen as, you know, kind of, it, you're, you're being very vain and self-centered by wanting to take, um, you know, these fancy things like jewelry and swords and stuff with you into the afterlife and it becomes much more common for people to be buried in a shroud so just you know wrapped up in cloth or maybe for wealthier people they might get a wooden coffin and again there's variations in this practice throughout the middle ages but by and large in europe a funeral would include um, a mass that's being sung for the soul of the departed, uh, the body wrapped in a shroud, and then either put into a coffin or deposited directly into the grave. And the grave was supposed to be on consecrated ground. So that's ground that's um, in and around the church. And actually your position of where you were buried did matter. Um, because if you weren't buried in consecrated ground, that was another way that you could uh, be excluded from being resurrected when Jesus came back again. So a lot of the time that's what excommunication, that was the real threat of it, was that 
not only would you not be able to go to heaven, you couldn't come back as, um, as a resurrected body because you wouldn't be allowed to get buried in the consecrated ground of the graveyard. So we see a lot of, you know, and, and as time goes on, it becomes more and more elaborate. There's more, you know, rules and rituals around, you know, well, you want to burn candles, you want to leave offerings, you want to sing certain hymns. And then, uh, as we talked about in the Black Death episode, the plague kind of changes a lot of this because suddenly you have a third to a half of your population dying within the span of a few years and there's just literally not time or people to dig that many individual graves and to hold that many individual masses so so at that point funeral rites tend to become much more simplified where you're seeing a lot of mass graves mass burials and they tend to sort of become a little bit more lax in terms of all right well you don't have to have candles if you don't have them available at the time or you know if you have to bury bodies without a priest there to bless them and say mass that's okay like you have to sort of deal with the necessity of the time and that sort of basically now I think for the most part in kind of polite conversation mm -hmm. we're not really supposed to talk about death and it's seen as this really taboo topic but you know in the pre-modern era that's not really something that you could do there wasn't the option of you know just going to a nursing home or going into hospice care for the most part the elderly and the dying were taken care of at home or um, were otherwise you know much more visible and much more part of their local community um, so there wasn't this really big divide like we see now and there wasn't this sort of distance from death you know you would routinely see people dying in plagues famines wars infant and child mortality maternal mortality uh, even just general illnesses like you were much more likely to die from a bout of pneumonia or from catching the flu so death was this much more normalized part of life and i think we need to remember that when we're talking about this because all these rituals and sort of what people build up around it is a way of dealing with this in a way that i think we sometimes kind of lose sight of today like i think it can be hard to know what the right response is when someone dies if that makes sense yeah can i jump yeah. in a little yeah, bit of course is that okay um because i was gonna say yeah it's it's also i think worthwhile i i think we get locked into this sense of the way that we process this in the modern age and in our like western culture is like the correct way um and i people like when i would do tours of the crypt people would get very surprised at various things that used to happen or happen in other cultures um for example the one that i would talk about a lot because there was this uh this one tomb that may have been used as what's called a charnel pit um which is when graves are reused um they would kind of scoop up the bones and put them in a central location and that would like 
horrify people. But um, it's called perpetual care is what we have now is this expectation that once we go into our grave, we will be there for eternity. And that's not something that is that's not ubiquitous um so i think we get it and it i would often find it interesting to have like um some europeans on these tours with americans because americans are like horrified by the thought of moving graves but it's much more normalized even today in europe like you have to kind of um move graves after like two years i think in germany um and so it's we get into this sense of like well we we're doing it the correct way and we have to kind of keep in mind that there is no correct way and other cultures in the past and other cultures will, will kind of handle this differently. Yeah. So basically when, I, when we're coming up into the late medieval and into the early modern period, we're at this stage where there's quite a variety of death rituals in their own way. You have, in some cases, people continue to have these much more sparse, pared-down versions of funerals and a much more um, quiet quiet ritualism around it versus there are there are still people who are doing the full-blown, you know, wakes and having masses said, having the whole ha- and, and having the whole community sort of come together around this. And you're seeing that there is that sort of divide even even as early as you know the 15th century i'd say but now i'm going to hand it over to devon to talk about what's going on on the other side of the atlantic yeah okay cool so this is something that's really actually kind of hard to work out um because the documents that we have for early America come from Europeans writing about the practices that they're seeing and that's obviously influenced by their ideas of death and spirituality and religion and morality and all of these things so we see a lot of things that are just talked about as like witchcraft that might not actually have to do with witch belief in indigenous communities. Um, Though I'm going to talk about this more in my witch episode, the processing death at the time of contact actually changes um, or is influenced by the witch beliefs that indigenous people held. So unlike what we talked about was happening in Europe, where it was people who were believed to be witches were mostly on the margins, in uh, West African and um, indigenous, like Eastern uh, Eastern American indigenous beliefs, witch beliefs, um, witches tend to be people with power who want more power or like are greedy and things like that so the what happens with the virgin soil epidemics at early contact right so the europeans come over they have all these communicable diseases that they've caught from you know having livestock and cities and tainted water and all of these things that they bring to the quote-unquote new world um, 
into communities that didn't have very many communicable diseases, mostly because there wasn't really livestock in pre-contact America, and so there weren't people living closely with animals, which is where, like the coronavirus, much of our human diseases come from. So there wasn't a lot of diseases, so there was nobody had any immunities, and that caused like just tons and tons of people to die. It's really horrifying. Most of the estimates of the numbers of indigenous people that died as a result of these virgin soil epidemics, it's estimated that one in 10 people survived. So that's the opposite of being decimated, which is where one in 10 people die. It was horrifying. So 10, like, what is it? 10% of people survived this horrifying pandemic. So, and obviously it came along with, you know, reports of these new strange people showing up and that results in this shift in witch belief where like all these crazy white people are definitely witches who are killing people in order to take their land. Right. So that's part of it. Um, another thing is um, the, ch the, the ideas around the power of priests or shamans or whatever kind of word you want to use for it changed. Um, in Cherokee Nation specifically, there are some stories about shamans or priests who were able to save their community before the white people showed up. Um, and a couple of things that sort of change in the way that the creation story is told. So the stories about the shamans, um, there are reports of essentially ghost towns and people in neighboring towns when the white settlers showed up and started trying to interact with these towns, they would be like, no, we heard about you. We knew that you were coming and uh, we know that you're like evil. <laughs> and we know that because the shaman at this other town, you know, further east, uh, hid all of his people away. Right. And they were like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, this shaman went into a trance and he opened up a giant hole to the next world in the center of the town so that all of the people could escape. And he's like, so he opened up this hole to the next world and all of the people in the town jumped through. You can go and see the town is still there. And there's enough of these stories that from piecing them together, Essentially, what's happened is these are the neighboring story. These are the neighboring towns dealing with the fact that an entire town died because of these epidemics, and that the idea is not necessarily that their bodies followed them, but that the shaman was able to guide their spirits to the next world to safety before violence could be done to them by settler communities. Because you know, not only is it epidemics that are coming through. But white settlers would set up houses, build fences around the houses, and then anyone who came near the fences, the settlers would think was attacking them. And there's all this violence that surrounded the expansion of white colonial settlers um, that was horrifying and mysterious. You know, it was a threat that had not been encountered before and also was coming with this 
these diseases that were, were also not understood. And so it all sort of fell into this changing idea of the powers of priests and also the powers that witches could have. Um, so that's sort of what's going on there. And then obviously there's, you know, the beliefs of Puritans and settlers coming and sort of interacting with those communities as well. But I'm going to let Taylor take it away for the rest of our time about what happens after, you know, these the colonial nations sort of get set up. Yeah, I guess I'm jumping <laughs> several hundred years in the future. We, we do that a lot. Yeah, right here. I'm, I'm making a big it's okay. temporal jump around all you want. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the way that I figured um, I would kind of start off our conversation, I wanted to talk about um, a little bit of the, the kind of what's going on ritualistically in the like theory side of things. So the, the kind of theory of why people do funerals. So I'll start off with that and then I'll kind of do the, the opposite end of what Sonia's <laughs> talking about, which I think like I found it really interesting because I think it's really reflected as well in the later 19th century. So it's this, it's a really interesting cool. cycle. So I'll get there. But uh, yeah, I wanted to start off kind of just, um, and feel free to jump in with like follow-up questions or comments. <laughs> jump in. Yeah, interrupt me. Go for it. Um, so yeah, the kind of underlying ritual, like my favorite of the theories of why funerals are important is from this anthropologist um, named Arnold Van Gennep. Um, who was a kind of early to mid 20th century anthropologist who framed the funeral as a rite of passage. So his famous article is called um, The Rites of Passage. I believe that's the, the title in the plural. I'll, I'll um, provide like citations and, and recommended further reading. Um, so yeah, I really, I, it, this makes sense to me. So he divides these rites of passages, and these are, his rites of passage apply to any life stage, um, and they're, it's in three stages, the preliminal, the liminal, and the, the postliminal. So the preliminal are the, the rites of what he calls separation. Um, so in the context of death and funeral, the, the moment of death or the lead up to dying is the moment of separation. So the person that had been part of the social group is now separated from the social group. Then we have the liminal stages, which are kind of the transit transitory stages. Um, this is where the funeral rites exist. This is where mourning exists. This is maybe, it's a very long stage in, in funeral processes. Um, it can last years. Um, and then the post-liminal is the rite of integration. So you're kind of closing the social circle and filling the space that that person left. So that's where all of these funeral practices and mourning comes in. Um, when those are kind of concluded, you have the social group kind of returning to a, a peaceful state that has dealt with the absence and the departure of this individual. Um, so that's always been kind of my... Uh, there are other like theories of why funerals are are important to humanity. It's something that's studied quite a lot because it's like why why do we do this? Like why do we care so much about like dead bodies? Um, but that's always been kind of the way that I 
I like to see it as this three stage, like a person has left your life in some way. How do you then continue on? And so you're being integrated back into society um, after after that loss. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a, my my personal favorite of the <laughs> theories of why we, we do funerals at all. Um, so you can kind of always look at, at that, even if it's uh, even if the, the cultural practice changes, even if the as Sonia talked about, the kind of uh, extravagance, the levels of extravagance uh, <laughs> alter throughout time. This is kind of the basis of like you're reacting to the departure and the separation of someone from a social group and then reintegrating them. Um, and then that also because it also you I don't know how much you guys know about this part of my weird interest. Uh, liminal states are kind of, huh, they're so interesting. Um, and so that's also where this comes in because that liminal state where the person is not, they're, they've left the social group, but they're not like, they're, they haven't fully exited. We haven't closed the social group around them. That's where we get all these really interesting, like why dead bodies end up being kind of like, dangerous in certain ways because they're not fully out of our social group they're not fully within them like how do we deal with this um so in terms of like politics and social dynamics the liminal state can is a really interesting phase um and it just yeah it, it ends up being i don't know how to put this um yeah, it's just a really, like, rich area where we get a lot of, like, well, we have to do these things to, like, mitigate the the danger. So you get a lot of, like, the ghost stuff that comes in through this liminal space. Um, anyway, that's, so that's always where I'm coming from, sort of, when I'm looking at uh, funeral rituals. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my my what what's going on uh and then as i kind of mentioned i i'm jumping us forward a couple hundred years um in mostly north america but these are conversations that happen in europe as well um to kind of the end of the 19th century when a lot of our cultural practices are starting to really change um specifically i'm not going to go super into the united states um but there is like the classic book um by drew gilpin faust it's called this republic of suffering um, I'll yeah provide you guys with the, the citations, um, but it covers the kind of massive cultural shifts that go on in the United States through the kind of trauma of the Civil War that alter both our death rituals themselves, like how we conduct funerals, but also like how we conceptualize things like the afterlife. Like there's a whole chapter on how mm-hmm. um, the afterlife goes from being like this, you you before the Civil War, most Americans kind of thought of heaven as this place where you would be in the light of God, you would be focused on like, worshiping God in heaven. And then after the Civil War, you start seeing a lot more like sermons about how it's a place of reunification. So you're reuniting with your loved ones, because just like so many people had lost like sons and husbands far away from home, who never really made it back they and this kind of cultural trauma resulted in this like desire to have this family reunification and in the afterlife so that's yeah just one example of like the ways that 
the mid 19th century U.S. culture like changed pretty dramatically. Um, but I'm going to focus a little bit more on the kind of not so much influenced by <laughs> trauma. There's just the kind of <laughs> modernity evolution um, as kind of the the mirror to Sonia's conversation because this is when we start having um, cremation become a acceptable practice again. Um, but it's very different from the cremation of the pre-Christian time, even though that's what it's criticized, criticized as being. Um, so cremation um, was introduced, the first uh, cremation machine, as they, they like to call it, they um, was erected in Milan in 18... Sorry in 1876 um and they're they're really touted as this like pinnacle of modern technology um they're not talking about like having these open pyre burials they're talking about these clean machines that are seen as being more hygienic they're seen as being this kind of like sublime like clean aesthetic um so yeah, I, I focused, of course, as we were talking about on Montreal. Um, so I'm just gonna I have a few like interesting quotes if it's okay for yeah, me to of like course. read them. Yeah, go for um, it. Yeah, so there was a book, um, or it was more like a pamphlet uh, when they were arguing about cremation in Canada that was put out by the Mount Royal Cemetery, like trying to argue that it should be able to have a cremation. <laughs> A crematorium, essentially. Um, it's called Cremation. It's history, practice, and advantage. Uh, and so just to, as an example of like the rhetoric that they're coming with, uh, they wrote, Science has demonstrated in cremation the existence of a perfect place. There is no religious scruple which should tie us to the sanitary errors of the past. So they're kind of talking about burial as this unsanitary thing. Um, they're kind of, I always framed this like they're just they're right on the cusp of having proper germ theory. <laughs> they're like right there. <laughs> so they understand that there are these things that are causing disease in human bodies, but they're not quite there. They haven't figured it out. So a lot of the disease in Montreal, they start blaming on the cemeteries because before they founded the two big, what we call rural cemeteries in Montreal, they're on the mountain. It's uh, Mount Royal and Notre Dame de Neige. I always forget. Notre Dame de Grasse is the neighborhood. Notre Dame de Neige is a cemetery. I always lived here for three years. I have this like moment where I have to hesitate and remember. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so they, they, they figure out that something is causing disease. They haven't cleaned, like, the water pipes in the city in decades, but they're like, clearly our problem is these cemeteries and the bodies, uh, that are causing disease, which actually, fun fact, um, unless you have died from something incredibly contagious, dead bodies are actually not as dangerous as we think um, in terms of like causing disease. So like if you're dying of coronavirus or if you're dying of cholera or 
um, like Ebola virus. Like there are a couple other things that have a lot of like oozy. Yeah, yeah. Ebola virus, <laughs> especially, like needs a lot of the very all the sloughing. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but unless you're you're um, yeah, unless it's like those big exceptions, dead bodies are actually like there's a lot of bacteria, sure, but the bacteria is there to consume the dead body the bacteria is having a great time it's breaking down all of your organs it's having a great time it is not interested in hopping over to a live human um and dead bodies you know they don't sneeze they don't breathe so for the most part dead bodies are not causing the the kinds of diseases that they were blaming on them um, my favorite was I read, yeah, my favorite, I was reading through these medical journals and there's this one like opinion piece that's like, are funerals literally killing people? And it's trying to make this argument that like by our funeral practice, we're killing the mourners because they're breathing in quote unquote, the airs vitiated ah, by yes, the corpse. The miasma. So the miasma yeah they haven't fully moved on from the miasmas so they're like clearly there's something unclean going on um so they they kind of partially solve that by moving the cemeteries out of communities and having these like separate rural cemeteries where they have a lot of flowers and plants and it's supposed to be this like very peaceful space that breaks up the the uncleanliness but then they're also looking at cremation as part of a solution to this um so they're countering quote the gruesomeness of the open grave and replacing it with a process performed with order decorum and decency amid surroundings calculated to render the strain of final parting Ooh, less so severe. victorian <laughs> so that is once a- Yes, <laughs> this is 1901 from the same Mount Royal pamphlet. Um, yeah, so they're really, cremation becomes this, like, the pinnacle of technology, the, the sanitary. Fire, the body by fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm yeah. excited. Um, so please restart that because it is I don't know if we want to tell that story on the podcast. Oh, because I'll tell it's, that story it is podcast. kind of hilarious. Because I warned you. Oh, that's the only word art that's valid. All the other word art is trash. (laughs) Yes. I'm sorry. We have to restart that Um, section. I was going to kind of... I just got too excited. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, because it's... I was going to talk then about... Because I was going to go in... I have another quote that's like the counter. Because it's... Yeah, so they're, they're framing cremation as this like scientific. But the criticism of it is still basically acting as if they're trying to burn people on an open pyre burial so that the spirit raises like like you're talking about um so yeah in the debates in the quebec legislature as they're uh preparing to like allow the construction of the crematorium which opened in eventually in 1905 at mount royal uh the 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 like argues that sorry i'm trying to find the quote um yes that oh yeah i guess i was just gonna i this part i don't actually have to read out loud i can just say yeah so like they introduced a bill to allow 
for the crematorium to be constructed. And the opposition argument is based around the fact that they want to... Um, that that cremation was a old pagan custom and anti-christian um oh gosh yeah and there's a lot of like op-eds okay yeah so my two things was in the senate or in the quebec legislature they explicitly counter the bill to allow the crematorium by saying that it's an old pagan custom um and then they have there's this uh publication called the true witness which is a catholic newspaper in the late 19th century um that argued that in fact dead bodies should be left to putrefy in the earth and provide nourishment for trees which effectively cleanse the soils and rend it to be used for burial a second time so you have this other argument that's partially based on this like well it's a pagan practice and we don't we don't vibe with it as as true christians um but they're responding to it in this like sanitary argument where they're like actually it's more sanitary to like return the body to the soil because it like you know it cleanses the earth and that's where you can get secondary burial like you can bury people more because um and they're they argue off uh, the health benefits of like the crematoriums are going to pour noxious gases into the air. Uh, <laughs> and so it's it's very interesting where it's like, oh gosh, yeah. And there's um, an article <laughs> about spiritualism. So spiritualism becomes really big the in the veil. 19th century. And <laughs> in this article, they tell this story of this seance that is held and this woman comes back uh, <laughs> to object to cremation. So yeah, it's the uh, she um, her yeah. So I'm just gonna read it because it's really funny. Um, her object in returning was to object. She was cremated at her own wish, but did not like it and hopes hopes it will not be done again. She assures us it was painful, very painful, and she enters her protest against similar dealings with human bodies in the future. So you have this, like, spectral testimony. Um, so, yeah, you can see the, the debate around cremation is super interesting. Um, as it's reintroduced into society, it becomes very, like, scientific, but also very superstitious. Um, where you're having ghosts come back to argue that it was painful that they were cremated. Um, but the real like core of the argument is this these health benefits. So they, they kind of show cremation as this like perfect aesthetic. Uh, yeah, it's aesthetic way of d- Can I get an Instagram of, of post corpses. about it? Targeted ad um, for cremation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You have no idea how weird my targeted ads are. I I was getting them for a while for like funeral homes and like yeah, I was like this really knows me. Um but I guess here's where we'll, we'll jump into the, the rawest <laughs> quote from my MRP. So Should we explain I, what an I MRP is MRP, for people I had a couple, who might not I had a couple be raw. doing Canadian master's oh, yeah. degrees. Yeah. Yeah. So the MRP is the master's research paper or major yeah. research paper. I saw it both ways. 
Um, but it's yeah. it's shorter than a thesis. So yeah. So it's mine was like sixty page. It was supposed yeah. to be fifty. And it's a it like it's more of like but... an article length paper for yeah. if you do a course based masters where you're taking classes and stuff. Yeah. I had a couple of raw lines. I really liked this one. Uh, after the quote about the, the seance, I wrote, while spectral testimony is not the most scientifically valid response to arguments posed by the cre- pro-cremation movement. <laughs> and then I go on to be like, blah, blah, blah. Like this, It says this about the culture. Um, but yeah, the, the rawest line... Of like, I actually can't find what the actual line is of like what I was following up from. Um, but it was its aim was essentially like not to return to the the practice of open pyre pagan burials, but the quiet annihilation <laughs> of the body by flame. In fact, I read the MRP and was editing it. And I said that I wanted that as word art because, you know, I'm I'm a white woman. And I said, I need some don't word art. tempt me. But I don't want, like, live, laugh, love word art in my kitchen. Like, that's the word art I want. And then about a year later, Taylor presents me. And I said, embroidered. A beautiful embroidery piece that says the quiet annihilation of the body by flame. And it has a little... A little fire <laughs> embroidered at the bottom as well, and it's hanging in my kitchen right now, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Don't you stopped?" I believe, and was like, "This is the rawest line I wanted as word art." And I was like, "Do not tempt me. You will get word art of this." And word art happened. Yep. Um, and actually, I think I misquoted myself. I, I think. If I remember, I had to look it up for something else. I was, like, telling someone else this story of my, like, the rawest line. Um, and I think in the actual MRP, it's by fire, and I keep saying by flame. So the word art well, is technically wrong. but the MRP yet? <laughs> the sense. Well, you can change I have not. it so in edits, you go I to publish. <laughs> yeah, it'll, I'll alter it in, into publication. Um... Yeah, so that's kind of the reintroduction of cremation. It's not really as this pagan thing that the church wants to frame it as, but it's this like scientific hygienic argument, um, which then, like, as I kind of mentioned before, you know, we're we to this day think that dead bodies are this unclean and like they can be ritualistically unclean depending on the culture that you're from but in terms of like actual unless you're dying of something very very contagious they're not actually like that dangerous um but in the early 20th century this kind of hygienic argument gets like really picked up uh and I, I'm going to put in a, like, hashtag, like, not all funeral homes. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm not saying that all funeral directors do this as we get into the, the modern state of, of funeral homes. But so just in general, this is not I'm not trying to call anyone specifically out. And I, there are many great funeral directors who are in it for the love the, of the game. The, uh, you know, <laughs> or like I was like yeah. to serve their community. There are a lot of, but 
there's also a kind of a, a capitalist side of the modern funeral industry that can be sort of problematic. Um, so I thought uh, we yes. kind of uh, finish up and then now we can talk, talk about, about that going how into capitalism ruined how these death. <laughs> Our standard yeah, outline yeah, for this podcast, which is a really interesting. Here is the history of the thing, and here's how capitalism ruined it. So we're going nicely, which is really interesting in this case because the hygienic arguments and this sort of like paring down argument happened to counter the very opulent, very expensive funerals of the Victorian period. So, like, if you're into, like, morbid curiosities at all, like, you'll probably know a lot about the Victorian period because it's <laughs> it's pretty popular for death because there's, like, the funerals get really wild and out there. Mourning garb gets really wild and out there. And, like, it's the flowers death <laughs> photography, which I have a whole... Don't even get me... I don't even put that in there because I have, I will have to have a whole like hour long conversation about death photography and all of the fake death photos, whatever. Um, but it gets really like opulent for a while and it's really expensive to like buy all of those flowers and buy special clothes to mourn in. So this, in the late 19th century, as this is kind of quieting down, we're entering into the Edwardian period. Um, and it's, it's a reaction against that. It's saying that you don't have to have a funeral with like, you don't have to break the bank on buying flowers and mourning clothes and mourning jewelry for your funeral. You can have this kind of quiet, quiet annihilation. You can have these like very simple cremation services at the crematorium where cremation is still to this day, like not very expensive in comparison to other things, but it's, yeah. So it's, it's, a reaction against it but then it gets kind of the hygienic argument gets kind of taken up and used to make funerals expensive again um so the kind of classic text of the the 20th century um it's by a woman named jessica mitford it's called the american way of death um, which is also uh, just as a side note, the title is very interesting um, that the American way of death, because you will see that naming convention a lot, specifically within about a decade of the first publication of that book, which was, I believe, 1964 or so. And then they did a republication in the 90s. And like I did I, for my like historiography section of my paper, I went through and I like, you know, played with the data so I could sort titles in, in WorldCat by the dates. And I really there's a huge spike. So you get to you see everything you see. Like I but Devin yeah. recently borrowed the Puritan way of death by David Stannard. You have um yeah, the, the Victorian way of death. You have the Aztec way of death. Like, everyone just uses this. The Egyptian way of death. Like, everyone likes to use that um, that naming convention because her book got so big. Um, and I also, the, as a kind of more on the theory side, this is where I also kind of locate the switch of death studies from something that was really... Um, 
dominated by the anthropologists. So in the early uh, part of the 20th century, it's mostly anthropologists talking about death. It's uh, Van Gennep, who I talked about. Jeffrey Gore is another big uh, anthropologist. He's the one that, that proposes the whole death denied um where, you know, he de- we're rejecting death in our modern society. We're not talking about it as much. So it's from Jeffrey Gore, who's an anthropologist. And then after Jessica Mitford's book, like, she's a journalist. But you really see historians start to pick up death studies. Because it was a massive, like, cultural moment where everyone went, how did we get here? And I think a lot of historians then started to look at, like, well, wh- where did the culture develop? So that's the kind of theory and interesting little bits about the publication of her book. But the book itself goes into um, like the, at the time, modern funeral industry. And it's like pretty horrifying in terms of how expensive it's gotten and how some, not all, some funeral homes would kind of try and take advantage of the general layman's like lack of knowledge about the industry to charge more to get make them get things that they didn't actually need so she would do things like call funeral homes and ask them or she would like look up the state law on for example embalming um embalming corpses and she would then call funeral homes and they would ask them what the law was and they would all say like yep it's it's by law you have to embalm like in these and and so in certain states it's not actually by law you don't have to embalm a body um and especially not if it's being cremated and like there are all these like things that um uh, state regulations saying what exact type of coffin that you need to have um that were like put in place by this like larger industry lobbying where it's not actually it's it's not dangerous to have for example like a pine box burial but our modern culture views the dead body as like so dangerous in terms of like public health that they're like no we but embalming is safer and we have to embalm them and we have to have this type of coffin so that the body remains in the ground and doesn't decompose and which like it's still gonna decompose first of all uh and second of all now you're releasing all of these chemicals into the soil where if you don't embalm some a body it's going to like decompose in a more natural way like everything has decomposed (laughs) over centuries um so yeah there's and like I said, this was published in the six, 1960s. Um, so some things have changed. The republication in the 90s didn't really give me that much faith. I read uh, when I was reading it, I read the like second edition and it was like, well, some things have kind of changed, but a lot of things have stayed the same. Um, but we have now quite a few like nonprofits and advocacy organizations that are trying to start um you know, number one, starting the conversation earlier in people's lives. So talking about reversing this death denied thing, we're making it more acceptable to talk about, um, like, because you should know what you want. Your family should know what you want. Like, 
and it becomes it's a very hard conversation to have, but it's important to have those conversations before your family is in this very stressful situation because a lot of the time part of the reason and people end up like spending so much money on funerals is because they they don't know and they're super stressed out and traumatized and so they're just like okay whatever like I'll figure it out later but if you already have kind of a plan in place they'll they'll have a little bit more sense of control over the proceedings um yeah so it's important They're to talk about it and like kind of know what you want. Um, um, in a few different places, few... Uh, mm-hmm. natural cemeteries, which are pretty cool. There's one in North Carolina on the border of North yeah. Carolina and Tennessee, uh, where I think they bought part of a national forest. And mm. it's literally just still the forest. And the like funeral director for that's like just that one organization for the cemetery and they give you like a wicker basket essentially that you're put in and you can't be embalmed or anything like that then you like walk out into the woods and they're just like okay right here next to this tree and they've like dug a little hole and put the wicker basket in it and that's like and so then you have like obviously the funeral procession process with like whoever your pastor or religious figure is but it's just like in the woods <laughs> also yeah. yeah yeah there's a lot of like the green green burial movement um yeah and there's like advocacy to change laws because it is technically illegal and s- still in some places like, yeah there's like i said there's like, there's only buried. one in the entire state of north carolina uh, where you can do that yeah yeah but another a fun fact um because i think it's super like green burial is really interesting but we also have to be careful about how capitalism is going to steal that too because that's what capitalism does uh because there's like there was a company that was like we'll turn your ashes into a tree and it's like you can do that for free you ashes you can do whatever as long as you are you can do pretty much whatever you want with ashes there are some regulations if you want to scatter your ashes at sea but as if you're like on your private property and you want to dig a hole and you put your ashes in it and grow a tree on top of it go for it does not matter and of course like there are some like you have to ask like private property owners like and I don't think you're supposed to scatter them on national lands and things like that. But other than that, like, if you want to be buried on your family's farm or in, like, the woods, like, ashes are fine. There are very few regulations. But this company is preying upon people's ignorance or at least their, like, kind of knowledge that this is technically illegal. Or, like, the pods where they put your body in a pod and then attach a tree Growing a tree out of ashes is totally free. that one? That's and it's like thousands of dollars to like have your body crammed into this pod. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's. I think we have to be careful about how Mm -hmm. capitalism is taking the green burial movement as well, and it's like kind of make sure that you know because these things should be free. (laughs) Very much so. (laughs) It's just putting you're dead and you're putting your body in the ground and growing a tree out of it is great. Um. Yeah, so that's, I remember I, my friend, 
was talking about that company because she and her partner own a farm and she was like oh i want to be buried on our farm but there's this company i was like no just it's your farm it's private property if you want to be created and bury your ashes on your farm like go for it anyway that was, i'm sorry i yelled no, no, no. go this for it a... yeah especially when we're talking about you know, the injustices of this world just let me be buried yeah, how yeah. i want to be buried which you know for me yeah. is just put me in the dirt which like Put me in a box and then put yeah. me in the dirt. I don't know where I can do that, where they haven't made it. Ele- I just, I, I mean, here's the thing. I, <laughs> well, apparently here in North Carolina. I'll just, but I, I don't know. I I was born in Canada <laughs> and to Canada I shall return, you know. just I, I need some Canadian soil. Just dump me in a hole. Oh. It'll be fine. <laughs> the, those are my instructions. Yeah. I um, really don't want to be cremated because in the course of doing my MRP, I found the great, great arguments, but the cremationists in the 19th century can get a little paternalistic. (laughs) Uh, And so out of a reactionary bit of like, you guys are kind of paternalistic. I'm like, I'm not going to, I want to be buried in a pine box. I don't want to be cremated. I think that's fair. I think I think I'd be down with yeah. cremation, but if if I was allowed to have like an open pyre situation, you know, like just yeah. build a bonfire in a field and put me on top of it and let me, you know, let my ashes <laughs> return to the sky. But again, I'm not so, sure if that's legal. Uh, we'll figure. Oh, well, so out. I have was just our normal of, oh, sort sorry. of winding down exercise is to talk about like so this is a ritualized year right and the reason that we're talking about death and the dead for this week is because it's the week of all souls all saints and Mm. like halloween and all of that stuff so it's the time for remembering the dead um what for those who are not dead How can we, like, what is it that we can do, you know, at this time of the year, like, in consideration of what we've talked about today? Like, other than, I mean, obviously, we're advocating talk to your families about an anti-capitalist funeral. (laughs) But also... Well, I would say, yeah, in in terms of that, like, have start thinking about what you would want and start having a plan. And I'll I'll link um, or I'll I'll provide you guys with a link for some organizations like the Order of the Good Death um, and Talk Death, which is a really good website to like look at your options. Um, so that and and have maybe have a conversation with your loved ones um if your parents are still alive not and maybe not just about this but you know in terms of the conversation you know say hey what would you want when you're dead and also like for example like all of my grandparents are deceased but it's a good time of year to say to your parents like do you have any stories about your mother and father that I haven't heard before like what do you remember about them and kind of just that's the way that 
they're not forgotten and you're like honoring them and then also work into that conversation like okay well what would you want after you die like yeah so kind of having that open conversation is going a long way to like getting rid of this yeah this is a conversation that my family has all the time i think because my parents are both atheists and so they're like kind of super practical about things so anytime they like are getting on a plane they're like you remember where the will is right and i'm like what do you want to happen with your body and they're like we'll be dead we don't care so they're organ donors it's a whole thing but i asked uh my partner the other day i was like uh are you like an organ donor if you're like hit by a truck crossing sherbrooke like what should i like i'll be your next of kin like what should i do with your body like what do you want uh and that really freaked him out i guess he's never talked to his parents about that so we need to gotta have a in-law conversation i guess yeah interesting yeah yeah and it's, like, good to just talk about in general. Like, I made that kind of funny <laughs> remark at the start that I've, I'm really good at parties. But the thing was, I was never the one starting those conversations. I would just give what I studied. I would, like, go to a party. Someone would be like, what are you doing here? And I'd be like, oh, I'm a master's student. I study this. And then they would be like, hmm, yeah, have you heard of this? And, like, oh, and, like, have this whole conversation about, like, dead bodies. And I would be like, great, I'm the girl talking about death at the party again. But it was really like they were yeah. given this opportunity. It felt like they were given this opportunity to have this conversation that in a supportive way because I was like, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Like, what do you think about this? Um, so I think, yeah, just like having the conversation is great and more people should feel safe to do so. <laughs> so I'm happy to come talk to your partner about <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, like, we to facilitate oh, that conversation. Because, I mean, we've successfully had that conversation because, again, it was the same as my parents. Like, oh, I'll be dead. Oh, that's good. Oh, good. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Thanks for the help. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. I mean, on you the know. flip side of that, can I say, if you're someone who's particular about what you want done, you can plan you can. your own stuff in advance. My family, as you, as you two both know, is very Ukrainian, very Eastern Catholic, everything. It's like, yeah, we're all going to die one day. So like my great, yeah, Memento Mori. my great grandfather bought a funeral plot, a four person funeral plot for himself, his wife, his daughter and her husband. So they could all have it ready to go. And uh, he was friends with the director at the cemetery and was notorious for joking about how (laughs) that was his apartment for when he died. And uh, that in the meantime, you know, am I allowed to grow some tomatoes, maybe some bush beans on it? You know, just really get my money's worth because I I set this all up in advance. So, you know, if you're someone who does care what happens. That's a great idea. I forgot that story. It's such a good idea. Like, garden plot. Like, oh, no, he kicked the bucket. Like, time to tear up the garden. Have a little last harvest, like, meal. I think it's a great idea. I think your grandfather should have been allowed to do this. You know? So just, if you are particular, just know that there are people who are doing this all in advance, and they are, they're having a great time with it, let me tell you. 
my grandparents have like a family plot too and they told me that there was room there for me one time but it's in illinois like my grandparents grew up in illinois but like i have i've been there once I have, like, zero connection to Illinois. I lived in North Carolina my entire life and now in Quebec. But, like, so, like, it's one of those two places that I'm ending up. Like, why would I be in Illinois? But whatever. So my grandparents were like, we have enough for you and your cousins. Uh, but if they if everyone gets married, then we probably don't have enough room for spouses. And I was like, What? You guys are so... It was so weird. It was such a weird conversation. <laughs> but these are the conversations you should have at this time of year. I have genuinely yeah. have, and, have these talks, yeah, you know? Yeah. And and just have a moment to, like, yeah. you know, talk about people who have died. So, like, yeah, if you're missing your grandparents or anyone else in your life that has passed away like it's okay yeah, to talk and if about them for, like prompts and, for like if yeah. maybe you didn't know your grandparents or aunts or uncles or somebody and you want to talk to your parents or other family members um about someone in particular uh story from npr in the u.s has um a little app for like submitting to story which is a collection at the Library of Congress of just sort of like oral histories of American families, but also it's obviously outside of the states as well. Um, but they have like great little prompts for like if you want to get a particular story or about a particular person from someone, you can like go on there and be like, I want to talk to my mom about her mom. And then it has like little questions to ask to do a little. NPR style interview for StoryCorps and it like helps you record it and it goes into the Library of Congress if you would like to do that with your stories Um, then historians can access them they're like they're like indexed and everything at the Library of Congress yeah I thought that's a a neat little project right so Taylor, thank you so much for coming and telling us yeah. all about death, the dying. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry I yelled. I got very pa- I get very passionate. We yell all the time, and it's normally about okay. me being upset that the fire yeah. department won't let me have fun of... anywhere. I, I have a real, <laughs> you know, I just feel like we should we should have some and way of having massive. Again. I grew up in the and suburbs, massive and funeral pyres. Let me have a fire pit. Oh. Yes. Yeah. I did get to have a really good bonfire last year on my friend's farm because they were burning. Um, they had like a bunch of like old sheds oh. that they had knocked down and they had to burn them. But we did have to, we like had to get a permit from the fire department, but it's like. That's... We just had to call them. I think we went online, actually. There was, like, an online portal for this town where you went yeah, on and we like, oh, like to burn a bunch I'm of stuff. From. And they were That's like, okay. I'm willing to negotiate. Can, like, apply, like, apply online to no, say, like, hey, I was never I'm, I'm to burning me. stuff. You can do that, yeah. You just gotta be more rural, Sonia. Well, I'll have to look into that. <laughs> I, do, I grew up in yeah. a pretty, like, well, it wasn't rural, but, like, 
we had a big backyard. We could have had a fire safely. It would have been fine. Hmm. We were allowed to have like a fire pit. Like we had a fire pit, but it was like for campfires. And I was in like very suburban, like just outside of Boston suburban. (laughs) But like we weren't allowed to like burn a shed, which is the kind of bonfire that's really fun where it like reaches (laughs) up like six feet in the air and you're just like, yes. So, Taylor, before we go, where can we find you for... Yes. Well, not we. I know where to find you, because I know where you live. But where can our listeners find you you and or more information and or the other podcasts that you and I do together? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I didn't know if we wanted to plug our other podcasts. The most ambitious Um, crossover in podcast history is happening right now. This is the podcast event. Um, no, I was thinking about like, I, how do I call this? And I was, I think I'm going to call it a crossover on our podcast because I'm obviously like, yes. I need to get, I'm in charge of our Instagram. So I was like, okay, like, I feel kind of bad. I'm always highlighting myself. I have all these like plans for like, okay, this article I wrote is kind of supposed to come out on this day, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, crossover is like, I like the word crossover. Um, but yeah, so you can find me very occasionally on the Twitter. Um, I don't use it too much, but it's like generally where I'm, I'm supposed to be, you know, having a professional presence. Um, my Twitter handle is at avocado underscore underscore my Twitter handle. I mean, yes, third time's the charm. My Twitter handle is at avocado underscore ghost (laughs) avocado ghost get it um i am more frequently on the gram uh instagram uh, and on instagram you can find me at stitchrec where i do fiber art um and share some spooky art and yeah hopefully we'll be doing some finishing up some spooky fiber art this week for halloween um, and so that's stitch wreck like shipwreck is called ghost and folks and um, it's about horror movies and we released ghosts and folks yeah we released twice it's our a month horror movie Fridays. discussion podcast so the second and fourth friday so there will be one at the end of this week if you're looking out for that and that's we also have a gram it's at yeah ghost folks at Ghost yes. Folks Pod. Ghost Folks Pod. Ghost Folks. Yeah. And it's me pretty much running running the gram. So if you go say hi, I will be happy. I would love to have chats. And I also <laughs> share some spooky art. That's what I've been doing with our, our gram pretty much is just sharing spooky art. And then... Excellent. Like Halloween costumes. <laughs> In our episodes, of course. Yes. So come and check us like out. Like always, and you can find more Bobby Yaga information yeah. um, on inst- if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, and also at our website. And if you can, we would super super appreciate it if you would support us on Patreon. There's Patreon exclusive merch. We also have a new merch store where you can get super dope stuff designed by our very own Sonia. <laughs> you can get um, it, it, it's on Threadless. They will make you whatever you want. Essentially, you get T-shirts, 
shower curtains, duvet covers, wall cloths. <laughs> you could have your entire wardrobe <laughs> and home exclusively with Baba Yaga merch. That's how I'm currently living. <laughs> Not actually, but you know, I'm I'm getting I'm gonna I'm gonna get my partner to come around on this one, I think. Yeah, we're working on it. So yes, please support us on Patreon and or buy some super cool Baba Yaga merch. Um and check in on the website or social medias and as always, uh stay safe and do good work. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Just spare me over till another year. Well, what is this that I can't see with ice cold hands taking hold of me? Well, I am death, none can excel. I'll open the door to heaven or hell. Oh, death, someone would pray, could you wait to call me another day? The children prayed, the preacher preached, time and mercy is out of your reach. I'll fix your feet till you can't walk, I'll lock your jaw till you can't talk. I'll close your eyes so you can't see this very hour. Come and go with me. Death, I come to take the soul, leave the body and leave it cold. To drop the flesh off of the frame, the earth and worm both have a claim. Oh, death, oh, death, won't you spare me over till another year? My mother came to my bed, placed a cold towel upon my head. My head is warm, my feet are cold, death is a-moving upon my soul. Oh, death, how you're treating me, you're closed my eyes so I can't see. Well, you're hurting my body, you make me cold, you run my life right out of my soul. Oh, death, please consider my age. Please don't take me at this stage. My wealth is all at your command. If you will move your icy hands. Oh, the young, the rich are poor. All like me, you know. No wealth, no land, no silver, no gold. Nothing satisfies me but your soul. Oh, death, oh, death, won't you spare me over till another year? Won't you spare me over till another year? 
Won't you spare me over till another year?